Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Welcome to Holy Week at One Church TO. We are so glad you're here. What is Holy Week? Holy Week is a moment where Christians for centuries, and certainly around the world right now, billions of Christians are remembering refocusing and reorientating their lives around the events of the last week of Jesus' life because it's so life-giving. It's a, it, so we celebrate this weekend, Palm Weekend, the triumphal entry of Jesus. We're going to hear some scriptures as we already heard an Old Testament prophetic scripture that prophesied that Jesus would come into Jerusalem and the people would cry out, please save us, Jesus. Hosanna in the highest. God save us. God help us. And then on Good Friday, we'll remember the burial and death of Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, we are going to remember the resurrection power of Jesus. For this whole series, this mini-series for Holy Week, we've kind of themed it around this idea of choosing your adventure. Why? Because an adventure is what you and I have been made for. Jesus is the ultimate adventurer, leaving his home in heaven, coming to earth, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we deserve to die, and then doing something incredible, breaking the back of death and sin that we could have life forevermore. So we're in the middle of celebrating that this coming week. This is exciting. So I thought I should define a little bit what adventure means. This is a little bit different gathering. We have lots more music to come. We're going to be teaching in different segments. Uh, We are excited to celebrate all things Jesus this weekend. So here's where we want to start, by defining the word adventure, because adventure might mean something different to you. So I thought the first definition, let me give you a tongue-in-cheek version. Many of you have been a part of One Church TO, you know I kind of like the urban dictionary at times, because it's just regular people making up definitions as they want. This was the definition I found for adventure in the urban dictionary. What every girl on every dating app says she likes while she stays home watching Netflix all day. <laughs> but here's the, here's the real de- uh, definition of adventure. An undertaking usually involving danger and unknown risks. What makes an adventure so exciting is there's elements of risk in it. There's elements of danger. That's what makes it not only exciting, that's what makes it so rewarding on the other side of it. Many of the fears we have in an adventure aren't real even fears. They're played on some of our anxieties and fears, and we're going to confront some of them over the course of this week. Now, here's one thing. I love what Mary, Mary DeMuth says. She says this, that God has created us for adventure, not ease. God's goal in our life is not one of leisure, one of ease. His goal in our life is one of adventure that leads to transformation in our lives. And every adventure has about three components that I can see that are not as obvious as the ones of maybe sacrifice or difficulty or strain or anything like that. The first one is this. An adventure always involves choosing the long way. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
the long way. In fact, on a great adventure, the shortcuts are usually tempting traps to cause you to lose your resources and time and energy, actually. So there's some element of the long way in an epic great adventure. It also involves choosing the hard way. And every adventure, listen, if you're on an adventure and there's nothing to overcome, that's called an activity. That's not an adventure. An adventure has a moment where you come up against something and you have to push through it. That's where you get the reward of a great adventure. And then finally this, a great adventure involves choosing the right way. See, the wrong way not only wastes resources and time, but often we start out but we never arrive. There's a wandering that happens in our life. And we want to talk about what it means to discover the right way. So here's the, in short, an adventure is never short, it's never easy, and it's always on the right way. And that's what we're going to explore for Holy Week. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to have the words on the screen, no problem. But here the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Philippi, and what he's doing here is he's trying to explain what it looked like for Jesus, the great adventurer, to leave his home in heaven and come to earth. Here's his words. He says this, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. I want you to notice that in Jesus' adventure, there is a great measure of sacrifice. You'll see it throughout this whole week as we journey together. There's sacrifice implied here. And he goes on to say, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Thank God he did. Fully God, fully man. That means he understands our struggle. He's lived our struggle. He understands the struggle and the plight that we're on. And every great adventure has a measure of struggle in it. He said this, having become human, he stayed human. Why is that significant? That means he knows your pain. He understands what pain feels like. He understands when we're in pain. It was, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. No. You know, when you, when you have special privileges, sometimes that means leisure. No, he rolled up his sleeves and he worked, just like we do, just like we do. Instead, he lived a selfless and obedient life. He took on burdens, the burdens of others and the burdens of this life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So in that first Palm Sunday, when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, you know, it's not, amidst the roar of the crowd and the adulations that were thrown at him, that came off the back of many years of struggle, of pain and sacrifice. Jesus had taken the long road. He had taken the long way. And on that first, I I would love you to just put yourself in the sandals of those first century people when he's driving into Jerusalem, or riding into Jerusalem that day. He wasn't driving. (laughs) He was riding (laughs) into Jerusalem that day. Put yourself in their sandals. Jesus is a celebrity at this point. It's kind of like if you're a boomer in this room, I don't know if you remember or saw in the news media or maybe lived it in person when the Beatles first arrived in North America in 1965 at JFK Airport. It was like a crazy, it was Beatlemania, they called it. Like it was like crazy celebrity status. It'd be like in modern day, somebody looking and coming up to that entry into Jerusalem to see Jesus, maybe to get a selfie with Drake or Michael B. Jordan, somebody famous. 
There are people gathered because the fever pitch popularity of Jesus was at epic proportions at this moment. It had been growing for years. He'd done miraculous things. It says in scripture, people were confounded. He taught in ways nobody had heard things like that before. So Jesus comes in, but what boosted his popularity to such epic proportions was in the previous chapter, in John chapter 11. He does something, something amazing. He raises a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus. And his reputation precedes him going into Jerusalem that day. In John chapter 11, we're told that Jesus comes after four days, Lazarus has been dead. He's been dead in a, in a, in a little suburb called Bethany. And he, he's dead there for four days. And John tells us four days because that's significant. In ancient Jewish culture, the soul would linger around the body for three days. So there's always a possibility of a comeback after three days, they thought. But come forth the soul would permanently depart. And that's what they believed in the ancient Jewish culture. What John wants his readers to know is Jesus is too late. He's too late. There's no comeback coming. It's over. You see, Jesus had, and what exasperated this story is Jesus had chosen the long way. He chose the long way geographically. He was with, when he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, He was within walking distance to him. It was a few hours away. It wouldn't have been a big trip to him at all. But Jesus took the long way geographically. He took his time getting there. And while Lazarus is waiting for Jesus, Lazarus dies. While his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are waiting for Jesus, they've sent word, our brother's not well, but your your friend is not well. And he takes his time geographically. Takes a long way. He also takes a long way emotionally. If you know the story, he shows up in the middle of a funeral. His sisters, Lazarus' sisters are in pain. They're crying. Martha's angry. She goes aggressively and meets Jesus on the way in there. She's so disappointed in him. His timing is off. Mary won't even come out. She's so hurt. And sometimes when we don't see God moving in our life, we either, depending on our personalities, move into places of disappointment or places of hurt. And they're both disappointed. Why? And, and, and it's the one time in Scripture where, first time in Scripture where it says Jesus weeps when he's at this funeral. I, emotionally, he took the long way. Had he shown up earlier, had there been a miracle earlier, there would have been no tears. Mary and Martha wouldn't have been in pain. Jesus wouldn't have had to suffer pain, the emotion of loss there. And he also took the long way supernaturally. Like, guys, I'm not, I'm not God, I'm not Jesus. But how many know if somebody's asking you to pray for someone who's not feeling well, you lean in a little bit easier than it is, can you, can you raise this person from the dead? Like supernaturally, he's taking the long way around. Had he shown up earlier, there's great evidence. Jesus had healed so many people along the way. Why not now? Mary and Martha believed he could now, but he waits until he's dead. Why does Jesus take the long way? Because there's something going on that's larger than the present situation. Something invisible to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and the rest of the crowd that is gathered around there. And you've got to ask yourself, especially if you suffered loss in this room, what could be larger? To Mary and Martha, what could be larger than losing their beloved brother in that moment? You know, I I can enter into that. When your child's hurting, 
uh, parents, is there anything larger? Does it matter what's going on at work? Does it matter what's... When, when you suffered the loss of a broken relationship and a divorce or something, is there anything that's larger than that in that moment? When, you, when you're watching a mother or a dad slip into eternity or something, is there anything larger than that moment? I mean, for them, there's nothing larger. But the fact is, there's something larger at play in Bethany that day. There is something larger going on. Every time Jesus takes the long way in your life, there's something larger at play. But for mo- those of us who can't see, like Mary Martha couldn't see the larger thing at play, not then, and often we can't. It leads to sometimes disappointment and hurt and pain. What could be more important? Well, John records in the gospel, in his gospel, in the 11th chapter, verses 43 to 44, he says this, and when Jesus had said this, he roared, I love this, it is emotional, with a great voice. In fact, if you, in the original language of this text, it's anger that he's expressing in this moment. He's angry, not at Mary, not at Martha, He's angry at death. How dare death? How dare death, this immovable, final thing, say it's got the last laugh? And so he says, he roars, Lazarus, come out of there. And the dead man did. Like, friends, the dead man came out of the tomb. What's happening here? Something even bigger than the moment. Jesus is reaching beyond the present crisis to deal with a final crisis that every human being would have to face. See, in this moment, the great theologian Frederick Brewer says it best. He said this, an immovable object meets an irresistible force. Death meets Christ and Christ conquers death. That's what's happening in this moment. This immovable object of death meets an irresistible force. Jesus, the son of God, and it was no match. Death had to give up in that moment. Friends, in the middle of your struggle, when we can't see the bigger picture, always remember this. The long way is the quick way to God's way. When you're in a delayed moment, God is doing something. We often want to take the shortcuts around those moments, but God is up to something grander and bigger in those moments. So with every adventure, and as I mentioned, we can have moments when we're journeying through our life where we feel the delay of life and we wonder what's going on here. There's a great uh, pastor, theologian. I've read him for years. He's long dead and gone. His name was A.W. Tozer. He actually pastored in Toronto for a brief time. He wrote these words. I like this. He said, above all, trust the slow work of God. We don't like that, do we? I don't like the slow work of God. See, God is a gourmet chef and we're fast food people. God cooks with a crock pot. We want the microwave. And God is determined to prepare a way better meal than you could even ask or imagine. And in our short-sightedness, we just want to just nuke it. <laughs> just put it in the microwave. Let's get this quick. And God is like, no, no, there's, there's something grander. There's something bigger at play here. See, God, and we don't like to hear this, but I'm going to say it on Palm Sunday. God's never in a hurry. A hurried person is a worried person. 
A hurried person is worried about being late or missing out. God is never stressed out. God is never hurried. And that's hard on us microwave people. It really is. Because we look at our present circumstances and we think we know. We think we know how this is going to end. And if you struggle with anxiety, you never notice that your anxiety always forecasts an ominous future, not a better future. It's always way worse. It's like we know what's going to happen. But we don't. And this is why we need to marinate ourselves in Christian community. We need each other. He gives us the body of Christ. It's why we need to resist quick faith and quick growth spirituality. God's not interested in arrival points that somehow you just need to take this course and all of a sudden you're a spiritual person. It's your whole lifelong journey you're falling in love with Jesus and Jesus is expressing and you're knowing his love towards you. See, when you begin to see your spiritual life against the long journey, it's always the long way Jesus takes. It helps you reframe all the difficulties, all the setbacks, and even the losses. You begin to see them as tools in God's hands where he's shaping you to look more and more like him. Some of the hardest edges or the hardest moments of my life, God has used those moments to, to cut off some arrogance and pride. And I grew up, everyone's a little different. I grew up in a family where you left the house at 18. Everything was about being independent. Everything was about making it on your own in my family. From a little boy, I remember hearing the story from my mom. Okay, you're going to be out at 18. So you had to get ready for it. And it built in a resilience in us as kids and an independence, but a loneliness and a pride too. And God's used some pretty hard moments in my life to chip away at that arrogance and that pride and that independence so that I knew and recognized I needed people. And most of all, I needed Jesus. See, the long way is the quick way to God's way. Let's read scripture together. Reading from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the huge crowd that had arrived for the feast heard that Jesus was entering Jerusalem. They broke off palm branches and went out to meet him. And they cheered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Yes, the king of Israel. Jesus got a young donkey and rode it, just as the scripture has said. No fear, daughter Zion. See how your king comes, riding a donkey's colt. The disciples didn't notice the fulfillment of many scriptures at the time, but after Jesus was glorified, they remembered that what was written about him matched what was done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, was there giving eyewitness accounts. It was because they had spread the word of this latest God sign that the crowd swelled to a welcoming parade. The Pharisees took one look and threw up their hands. It's out of control. The world's in a stampede after him. That's the Palm Sunday text. In it, there's a crowd shouting Hosanna. There are palm branches waving. 
There's a, a donkey in this story coming, comes in riding on a donkey. There's a lot going on in this story. And there's a lot of significance to you and I today. The first being the palm branches. And we obviously call it Palm Weekend because they were waving palm branches as he came into Jerusalem. Now, all of our kids are going to get one of these in our kids' ministry here and in person uh, today. But this represents, this is not a neutral symbol in ancient Hebrew culture. This is actually pretty... Uh, rebellious and subversive uh, image. This was something they reserved for moments when they had conquered uh, and they were victorious and the king was returning. They would wave the palm branches in celebration. It's quite a subversive thing. Uh, It would be like every time that they actually resisted the Romans, they had two major rebellions against the Romans that were their oppressors in that day. And every time they did, the rebels would stamp their coins with a palm image. It was kind of a rebel cause. It was a moment of revolt that was uh, tied into the the celebration. It would be like in modern-day Canada waving the Canadian flag. It was a sense of nationalistic. It was nationalistic pride. It was a sense of trying to get independence from. And so wherever there would be a moment, maybe where they were resisting or resisting the oppression of others, and they waved the flag, it would be a palm branch in this culture. So there's a lot going on with the waving of the palm branches, but that's not all that's coming on. The most troubling thing for anyone that was gathered there expecting to receive a king was that Jesus rode in on a donkey. Now, in ancient cultures, donkeys, kings would ride on donkeys, but only in times of peace. They rode on a horse in times of war. So a horse signaled a victorious king going into battle or coming from battle. Riding on a donkey meant it was a time of peace. For anyone gathered here, this is all wrong. This is like me showing up at your barbecue with a tuxedo on or showing up at your wedding with shorts and a t-shirt on. It doesn't fit. It's not appropriate for the moment here. And riding this donkey would have been very inappropriate for the expectations of the people who had gathered that first Palm Sunday weekend. They wanted a war king, someone that would free them from the oppression of the Romans. And they thought, surely... A man with power to raise someone from the dead. A man with power to speak and and move the masses. He's the man. He's the Messiah. He's the one in scripture that said would come and set us free. But he's not riding on the right animal. They don't want peace. They want war. They want war. Donkeys are interesting. How many people have ever been around a donkey? Okay, don't look at the person next to you. I don't mean that. Like, you, you know, here's the interesting thing about a donkey. I, I, I've trained horses for a living. I have worked with donkeys, but donkeys are not easy to work with. Uh, they are lowly creatures. They're known to be a kind of like humble-like creature. They are extremely stubborn. They are slow, but they are incredibly gifted at carrying big burdens. They can carry more than horses. They're incredible. Uh, beasts of burdens, right? Here's the thing. Jesus always rides into your life on a donkey. He always comes to you on a donkey, not on a horse. He comes into your life with peace, with humility, ready to, he doesn't come to bring war, he comes to bring peace. Even when we feel conviction, which feels it disrupts your peace, You need to understand, even when the Holy Spirit convicts us, that's the pathway to true peace. Peace is not the absence of struggle. Peace is something that sits in your heart that you can say, 
It is well with my soul, even when there's a storm around you. He comes into your life and he brings peace. The donkey king always comes with peace. The donkey king, as some theologians like to call him, because it was so, it was the antithesis of what people thought they needed in that moment. The donkey king comes with humility. He always comes to serve. There's a, there's a slow stubbornness in the person of Jesus and that he is always taking the long way in your life to develop you into the character, the fruit of the spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's a stubborn resolve in it. Not the type of stubborn we think. A stubborn, resilient resolve that he is going to fashion us after God's image. And the donkey t- king always comes to bear burdens. So many of us carry burdens that are too heavy for you. You know who you are. You were never designed to carry that burden. Some of you are carrying the burdens of grandchildren and kids and wonderful, but you're not taking it to God in prayer and leaving it with them. You're trying to fix it all. Some of you are trying to fix some broken and bad decisions you made in this life. And uh, uh, hey, great, take responsibility for it. But recognize, if you don't get, surrender it to Jesus, that load is going to eventually buckle you. There's nothing Jesus can't carry. There's nothing. You face the fear of getting older and, and, and you f- see friends passing away and you feel the loneliness and you feel the moments where, of just like the golden years. <laughs> don't feel so golden, Right? He can carry you. He'll walk with you. He'll lift the load underneath you. God is riding into your life on a donkey. And here's the problem. Sometimes we don't want a donkey king. We want a war king. Somebody that'll put our enemies in their place, right? Hands on exotic. And what a great way to kick off our series, Choosing Your Adventure. So much more to come over this week. So this is the first of three adventures that our staff are subjecting us to. Obviously, this was Pastor Jessica confronting more of her fears. And uh, if you watched our Hot Wings video, you know that birds is one of her greatest phobias. So this was a moment. Now, what's kind of neat is all of those animals are with our kids right now in our facility. And after our gathering, they're going to be in the lobby for you to greet. So all of those animals and more will be available at the end of our gathering. Now, the adventures that were coming up, it gets harder. And I've already done one of them, and I have another one to do on Wednesday, which will face one of my greatest fears. Every adventure has this aspect of pressing through beyond maybe a comfort level and has an aspect or a piece or a component that feels like a risk. So when we talk about choosing the long way, I get why we choose the long way. We choose the long way because we lack the power, the ability, and the control to take the short way sometimes. I have friends who struggle with chronic pain. I mean, if they had the power and the ability, they wouldn't struggle with chronic pain, right? Who would would want the long way through that? I have people who are going through seasons of grief that are close to me. If If you had the choice, you wouldn't go through it, would you? Who wants to go through the valley of the shadow of death? We None of us want to go there. The question is not whether you and I, why do we go the long way? We have limited power, limited ability, and a limited control. But on that first Palm Sunday, the question that just ricochets in my mind is, why did Jesus choose the long way? 
Why would he choose a long way? He had ultimate power, ultimate ability, and ultimate control. I mean, why go to the cross when he could just take the crown? What was to stop him from crushing evil? Crushing evil for Jesus is a layup. There is not a close second. It's not like us. He is the son of God, able to do more than we could even imagine, who willingly, when he started his adventure here on earth, uh, suspended those uh, elements that would give him ultimate, he, he made himself subject to the same things that we're subject to, gravity and other uh, natural laws, as well as uh, being subject to experiencing evil in this world, which he did firsthand. Why would he choose the long way? Why, why, why not just take the crown? You remember, if you know the Gospels, you know when he first started his ministry, it says the Spirit led him into the desert and he was tempted by Satan. And in the, all of those temptations, what were they about? The temptation was to take the crown without the cross. The temptation was to take the shortcut. I'll give you all of this, Jesus. You'll have control over all of this. And he says, no, no, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. So why choose the cross when he could have just taken the crown? You know, let's be honest. This is hard for us to conceive of because we're crown people, not really cross people. We, we, we reach for the crown anytime it's within our ability, not the cross. Who would choose that? Here's the thing, though. The cross... The crown doesn't change us and doesn't free us. Do you ever notice that somebody who gets rich fast or gets famous fast, it's not, it's not a freedom they get. It actually often ends, and if you see the statistics, to their demise. It's the cross that changes us and frees us. It's the cross moments. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem that day, he's riding in on the back of suffering and pain and loss, all cross moments in that moment. And the problem with most of us, and I'm going to be honest, maybe I'll just speak to me because maybe you're different than me. We want the stage, we want the stage without the struggle, don't we? We want the stage without the struggle. We want the win without the work. We, we want the blessing without the burden. We want the riches without the ruin. We want the progress without the pain, don't you? See, I am alone today. We want success without sacrifice. Uh, when I was in school, I wanted the A without the study. <laughs> but the problem is, friends, many of the good things we want in life the good things are on the other side of the tough things. And you know experience tells you that, doesn't it? Experience tells you that as you look over the shoulder of your life, it's been many of the hardships in life that has chipped away at some of the parts of your life that were ending in short-circuiting God's moving in your life. You know, I remember um, being a young pastor and in my early 20s, and some tough stuff happened, just tough stuff that uh, it's still painful to even talk about. And you wonder, like, what good can come out of that? You know, God chipped away at so much pride and arrogance in those moments and made me so dependent on him. It shaped my ministry moving forward. I can look back now and thank God for that moment. When I was going through it, I wanted nothing to do with that moment. I wanted out of that moment. 
I wanted a shortcut. And if someone provided me a shortcut, I would have taken it. But God brought me the long way because the long way is not the wrong way when it's God's way, right? The long way is not the wrong way when it's God's way. See, uh, if you're a parent here, you know, a little public service announcement, because I've been a parent and I am a parent. And you know, you can sometimes look at your children, you want to rescue them from struggle, you want to rescue them from the pain of life, and you want to rescue them from carrying the burdens of life. And of course, at different ages and stages as parents, you need to do different things to protect your children from some of the challenges that life brings. But friends, recognize this, that maybe the stage moments, the success moments, the, the growth moments are found in the challenge of the adventure. That, that the goal is not comfort, the goal is growth. And growth happens with struggle. So this past week, many of us, uh, hundreds actually, of our church family joined us at noon for a prayer meeting throughout the week, a Zoom prayer meeting. It was so good to see so many different generations engaged in praying for you, friends, praying for our city, praying for our holy week. This week, uh, our pastors have written a little devotional, a daily devotional every day of Holy Week, starting tomorrow, right into Easter Sunday. And there's, a, there's, a, there's one every day, and if you've got a young family, there's even an activity for your, for your children or something to do with your family for that week. When you leave the gathering, you're going to receive one of these on the way out. If you're watching online, there will be a, a link in the chat room that you can digitally download this. I would invite you to do this as a community. Let's do this as a community together. We're all in the same struggle. I tell you all the time, all the perfect people left a long time ago, it's just you and me. None of us are perfect in this room. We are all taking the long road to transformation. And Jesus loves us so much. He doesn't short circuit our growth by rescuing us every minute of every day. Sometimes when we pass through things, One of the greatest gifts of passing through a difficult season is I became more dependent on Jesus. And the more dependent I became on Jesus, the deeper my trust became of him. And the more trusting of God I was, my patience and faithfulness grew. And that's what leads to spiritual growth and formation. So before we pray, the crowd was singing Hosanna, shouting Hosanna, which means God save us, right? Uh, how many love music here in this room? You love music. How many have ever heard of a, a, a classical composer, even if you don't like classical music, Johann Sebastian Bach? Anyone hear of Bach? You know, I knew the first part of the story. I never knew the latter part of the story until this last week. I knew at the bottom of every one of his, uh, everything he wrote, at the bottom of his compositions, he wrote three initials, S-D-G which was Latin for sola Dio gloria, glory to God alone. So in other words, if you sound beauty in my music, if you see anything good in this, all glory to God, God has given me the ability to produce this. What I didn't know is at the top of every one of his songs, before he wrote it, he wrote these words in Latin, Jesus juva, which means Jesus help. I don't know what adventure you're traversing in your life right now. What a great prayer. What a great prayer for us as a community as we head into Holy Week together. Jesus, help. 
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.